Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Robert J. Harris, author of the novel A Study in Crimson, Sherlock Holmes, 1942. Robert, welcome to the podcast. Hello, it's good to be here at last after all our slightly technical difficulties. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, A Study in Crimson, Sherlock Holmes, 1942, how would you describe the novel? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we all have a Sherlock Holmes novel. You know, I, I had been writing for a while um, some middle grade adventures called the Arthur Conan Doyle Mysteries, um, which are about the teenage adventures of Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, in which he solves mysteries in Victorian Edinburgh. And so I was trying to come up with a really good Holmes-type mysteries for him to solve. And so that made me think, maybe I could write a Sherlock Holmes novel. Um, that would be interesting to do. But then the, the problem with that is there are a lot of Sherlock Holmes pastiches, as they're called it. There are probably hundreds and hundreds of them. And I thought, well, um, you know, why would anybody care if I wrote another one? But then when I had the idea of taking the Universal Studio Pictures film series with Battle Rathbone, which updated Sherlock Holmes in the 1940s, I suddenly thought, well, that's something nobody's done. This is a very famous series of Holmes films, very much part of the kind of legacy of Sherlock Holmes. And maybe if I did it as a novel, that would be very much in the spirit of Conan Doyle, but be a new twist on it that interests people and give it a fresh perspective. So it's Sherlock Holmes in wartime London in 1942, um, as he's seen played by Basil Rathbone, uh, starting with Universal Pictures, A Study in Terror in 1942. So I set the novel in the year of that, the first of those films. They went on to make 12 films. And um, so I've taken, I've had in mind um, the performances of Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes, Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson, plus the actors who played Lestrade, Miss Hudson in those films. And with that as the nucleus, um, went on to do it. So uh, the plot in this being that occurred to me was to have um, someone imitating the crimes of Jack the Ripper, committing murders on the same dates. And Sherlock Holmes has got to find out who's doing this and why. And that, I thought that, have an imitation of those 1888 murderers, kind of kept one foot in Victorian Sherlock Holmes at the same time as updating it to the 1940s of wartime London. And so I think um, uh, I've been getting quite a bit of good response from readers as well as great reviews to say that I actually got that, that atmosphere right. It really, as in those films that were made at the time, it doesn't feel like a big jarring transition. The characters are still very true to Conan Doyle. And even though there's now cars and airplanes and telephones, it still feels like a very standard, you know, proper Sherlock Holmes story. And so I was working to make it work out that way. And the reaction so far, I say in reviews and readers, has been that I've actually got it right. So I'm very pleased about that and the fact that people are taking an interest in it rather than it being, oh, it's just another Sherlock Holmes novel. Sure. So uh, that, that's the gist of it. As Sherlock Holmes is hunting down um, an imitator of Jack the Ripper in 1942 London during the blackout, which is a great cover for a murderer. And he calls himself Crimson Jack and sends a taunting poem to the police. Um, and the way that the original Ripper wrote taunting letters to the police too. Um, and so it's about Holmes' investigation trying to track down this killer before he completes the whole series of murders that he's imitating. Well, what was your first experience reading Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories? Well, i kind of grown up on TV versions. I'd seen Peter Cushing, I'll just play him on, on BBC, and I'd seen these uh, uh, Basil Rathbone films on, on you know Sunday afternoon TV here. So I've mainly, often like a lot of people, my first exposure to Sherlock Holmes is basically TV, seeing on TV. So uh, Basil Rathbone was always my, my picture of what Sherlock Holmes would be like. Uh, when I first was write, reading Sherlock Holmes, I got, uh, went to the library in my teenage years 
and got a big volume of all the Sherlock Holmes stories out of there. And I flicked through and looked for the most interesting title. And I saw the Red-Headed League. And I thought, well, that's probably about <laughs> a bunch of people with red hair trying to go take over the whole world or something like that, something massive. So I read that. And of course, there's nothing like that, but it's a wonderfully clever and fun story. And so then I was hooked. I, I read the rest of the short stories and the novels and read them ever since. So, uh, uh, and I also, you know, so uh, that was my first experience of Sherlock Holmes. And there is a magic about Sherlock Holmes. And Conan Doyle is such a good writer. There's there's so much warmth and humor and really good quality writing in what he does that uh, I think it hooks everybody in who, who makes a start on. What was your own writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Oh, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> um, well, when I was a graduate student here in Sanders University um, many years ago, um, I met this fabulous young woman, um, Debbie, who, who was from Florida. And she was on a Rotary scholarship. She, I, I was doing at that point, um, failing to complete a PhD on early church Latin, and she had already completed a PhD on medieval bestiaries. So we were both kind of, you know, living in the past. But we hit it off, and uh, she was already working on a fantasy novel called The Mages of Garlon, which eventually came out as The Burning Stone, the first of a trilogy. And um, I was kind of, you know, helping a bit out of that. But she was a published author before I was. Then um, she went on to write more books but then she when she got pregnant with one of our children she would she was like oh no we've got this contract to write these three books you have to help me with this so i ended up just helping her to you know flesh out chapters <laughs> do do first drafts of things then um jane yolan you've mentioned in our previous conversation that you noticed i'd written books with jane yolan you become good friends with her and she found out I'd, I'd written some of the parts of debbie's books and said you should write your own books come write a book with me so she got and bought me in to collaborate with her I went on to be eight novels, um, some based on Scottish history, some on Greek mythology. Um, and so I, I just do what women tell me to do. And so that by following them, I ended up becoming a writer. I always written as a child, I used to make comics and write stories and stuff, but I never considered it seriously as something I would do as a career. But with their encouragement, I, I got into it. So Jane and I did all these books. And then um, I wrote a couple of historical teen fiction novels, one about Leonardo da Vinci, one about William Shakespeare. Um, it was hard work getting the first one published. Uh, Getting a book in print is not easy. Those two books are published over here. Um, the first one, Leonardo book, had a huge success in Italy where it was published. It's still being published there now. It's one of the best sellers. There was a big gap. And then I got back into writing kind of middle grade fiction, um, writing uh, comic fantasy adventures set here in St. Andrews, which were my Loki trilogy, where Greek gods and monsters end up in the town where I live, which was nice, saved a lot of research. Um, and then I, I went on to do the article in Doyle Mysteries, which I mentioned earlier. Um, we had the idea of having the young Arthur Conan Doyle have adventures as a teenager, which would inspire him to write Sherlock Holmes. And then, uh, so that was, but then uh, I got into writing for grown-ups because I had this ambition to write a novel uh, carrying on the adventures of John Buchan. Um, John Buchan, who'd created uh, uh, Richard Hanney, the hero of the 39 Steps, and written a whole series of thrillers, five of which featured Richard Hanney. And, I, and Buchan, when he, in his last novel, before he died, was speculating all the heroes of his various books would then be involved in the Second World War. He'd be, they'd be fighting for king and country and that. But he never lived to write that story. And so I thought I would do that. And luckily, my, my youngest son had got a job in publishing, in publishers in Edinburgh. And it turned out that they actually liked this idea. So I wrote um, The 31 Kings, which was also published by Pegasus in the US. And um, that was very well received. And um, after that, I got my idea of, of you know, for writing a Sherlock Holmes novel taking the, the template of the 1940s set films with Basil Rathbone to be a kind of refreshing way to look at Sherlock Holmes, to be faithful to Conan Doyle, 
but to have a whole new angle on it that would give us different insights into the characters. And um, so I've been very lucky as an author. Authors' lives can go up and down. I've been dead as an author a couple of times, but now I've been in print for about <laughs> 10 years now. And I've got a, a second Sherlock Holmes coming out next year, uh, a third Richard Honey book the year after that. So I'm very fortunate to be, have a, an actual career going now and to stay in print. And it's, it's wonderful to, I kind of do miss my writing for younger readers, but uh, I haven't got time to fit it all in in one day. So that my adult writing is taking a great bit of time, but it's been really, very well received. It's really encouraging for me that things I wanted to write because I was excited about them. Other people have really enjoyed them too. So um, I hope we just keep that going uh, for as long as I can. So do you have a title for the next Sherlock Holmes novel? Yes, it's completed, actually. Um, it would have been published in the UK this year, except there's kind of a COVID backlog. You know, many titles were right. postponed from last year. So this book, which is all, although it's finished, will not be out until next year. It's called The Devil's Blaze, Sherlock Holmes, 1943. And in this, Sherlock Holmes is investigating an outbreak of cases of spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> and this investigation leads him to have to go and consult Professor Moriarty, who's working for the government at this point. And so it's a chance to bring in the, the Moriarty story with a whole new element of the, the war background. Um, in the films, um, in the second of the Holmes films in that series, uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon, Moriarty is played by Lionel Atwell, the, the great uh, actor. And so I'm not, I, it's not compatible together. I've taken that performance and the idea of Holmes and, and Moriarty meeting in the 1940s, but given my own spin on it to make it a big, uh, Quite an exciting adventure story with lots of danger uh, and, and traveling up and down the country. And uh, I, 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 I wish it was coming out now because people are writing to me now saying, oh, when's the next one coming out? I say, well, it's actually going to be next year because of all the COVID things. So if you can just hang on there and read my other books in the meantime, you will get a great adventure of Sherlock Holmes versus Moriarty against the background of World War II. So I'm curious, what is your writing process when you're working on these um adult novels do you outline extensively before you start writing or you more yeah. of an instinctive writer how, how does that work for you well i found it's best if i get the whole thing very well outlined what i do is get the basic idea i write that down it's like the blurb on the back of the book you know describing it and if i've got that then from that i'll then write an outline you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Um, My first adult book 
the 31 Kings, because it was a bit of a gamble, because I'd not written a book for grown before, I thought oh, I had to find the publishers, my potential publishers, with a really detailed outline to show I, I can really do this. I'm not just some guy writing kids' books who now thinks he can write for grown-ups. <clears throat> so I wrote a very detailed outline. It was six pages of single spacing. And I took that to, to my publishers, my editor, um, potentially at that point in Edinburgh. And we met and she took me out for brunch. And she'd printed up this outline. She put it on the table of the and she said, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you do a sequel? And I, well, well, I hadn't even thought of that at that point. And they, and they offered me a deal that day. So that was really exciting. Um, and so that, but then the next book I did for them, um, Castle McNabb, I was sold on like a page and a half outline. So when it came to write it, it was actually hard work. I had to actually make up the story as I was going along. And I've learned my lesson from that. It turned out as a really good book. But now I always have a very detailed outline. So exactly what I'm doing, because otherwise the writing process, you can get so tangled up in working out the story while you're writing it. It's better to have the story all worked out beforehand. So that's what I do now. I do work out a lengthy, both the Sherlock Holmes novels, I've had very detailed outlines. Particularly, of course, because they're mysteries. If it's a mystery, you've got to know what the solution is. You've got to know where the story is going. You can't just make it up as you go along. So, um, yes, they've had very detailed outlines. And, uh, and of course, as I'm writing it, um, I get new ideas to enrich it and add things to it. But the basic outline is always there under it. I worked out in the first place. Um, and the direction is going in. And I always know what the climax is going to be and build towards that. And so I'm curious, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Well, um, <clears throat> in terms of mysteries, what I've really enjoyed is Fred Vargas's novels. She's a French um, historian archaeologist, and she writes a series of novels about um, Commissaire uh, Jean-Baptiste Adamsberg, who's a commissaire of police in Paris. And uh, he's just the most dreamy, bizarre guy who has no business being in the police force at all. And these stories are steeped in history and mythology. They're very clever mysteries with fantastic characters. And so I, I, I've been loving a recent discovery of mine a few years back. And I've also just started reading more recently um, Christopher Fowler's Bryant and May novels, in which two octogenarian detectives in London run the Peculiar Crimes Unit. And they also have very interesting historical backgrounds, very bizarre crimes. And that's what I like. I'm not really very much into procedural or uh, you know dark noir stories. I like something that, that's a bit bizarre. And both those series are the ones I enjoy reading now. Um, those are my contemporary favorite authors of the classic authors. I'm a huge fan of John Dixon Carr, who is the, the, the famous as the author of the impossible crime and lock room mysteries. And luckily he wrote 70 novels. So I've got some still left to read, but he inspired me to, 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 to try and, and, and write things as clever as that. So, um, in the study in crimson, which we're talking about just now, the, my first Sherlock Holmes novel, the first three chapters are a locked room crime. Somebody disappeared from inside a locked room. And I was Sherlock Holmes investigating that because I kind of thought, if people are coming to this and don't really know the film this is based on, I want them to feel they're comfortable with Holmes and Watson, that this is a, a kind of an old-fashioned kind of a case for them to solve. And Holmes can show up all his, his skills of spotting all the clues, figure out how this impossible disappearance could have happened. Then when we come on to them going back to London after this investigation and start the Ripper case, which is not an entirely typical Sherlock Holmes novel because, you know, Conan Doyle doesn't rewrite uh, serial killer stories, um, they would, people would be into it. So John Dixon Carr has played very much in, into this. So there's, uh, there's another locked room mystery that's in the newspapers that Holmes and his brother Mycroft solve halfway through Sorry in Crimson. And uh, the second book, The Devil's Blaze, also starts with a bizarre crime that Holmes solves in the first two chapters before moving on to the main mystery. So yeah, so all these things have a great influence on me. And so I do enjoy reading 
um, Vargas and Christopher Fowler's novels now. Uh, luckily, there's, there's more of them to go. I've not read them all yet. Uh, once I finish them, I, I'm not sure. I'll have to search for somebody else who's just as good. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Well, uh, my advice for the writing is uh, a couple of things. The first one is don't be afraid to write badly because sometimes I'm sitting writing and I'm, I'm thinking, this is awful. This is just dull and, and terrible writing and flat prose. I just, I just keep going and write it. And then sometimes I go back to it and I think, oh, it's just not so bad. And um, anything that isn't <clears throat> great, I think you know you can fix it. So I think some people get get so held back. Every every sentence, every page has got to be perfect where they can move on. I say, well, no, find the inspiration and just pour it out. And if it's not quite up to scratch, you can always go back and fix it. And editors will come back and tell you. So don't be afraid to just go for it. Don't don't worry whether it's good or not. Get it down on paper first. And the other thing would be to to finish something. I mean, always if you're starting out as a writer. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to start so many novels and stories and never finish them. I just lose interest. So it's the, part of the discipline is you've got to write the story to the end. Even if it's just a short story or a novella, write it right through to the end because you'll learn so much doing that. Um, I read a great bit of advice once in a magazine. It was, it was that uh, uh, an author, the, a budding author, what you should do is burn your first novel. You know, your first novel should be <laughs> your practice run. You'll learn so much from doing it. You know, you go back, and my first novel was a fantasy novel because my wife was writing fantasy adventure novels. They got published. I had a go at doing one, and I got about 150 pages into it. And I, learned, I taught myself to type to do That's how long ago this was. We were typewriters back then. And I went back over it. I thought, this really isn't very good, but at least now I know I can write. It's not, I won't run out of things to say after 20 pages. So I think, yes, um, don't be scared to write badly. Get the thing down there and persevere to the end. Even if you're not happy with what you've done, get to the end of it, and then you can go back and look at it again. I think when you've done that, you, you've actually exercised your writing muscles. And um, this first book might turn out to be good when you work on it. Or if it isn't, you've learned enough to write your next one. And that's, that's I think, my soundest advice for anybody setting out writing. Um, and also, be prepared for rejection. <laughs> we all go through that. Don't let it get you down. I mean, just keep going. Um, I mean, my Leonardo novel, that was my first published solo novel after working with Jane Yolen. Um, we'd worked, we'd published it in America, both of whom turned it down. And I sent it to a publisher in London and they absolutely loved it and asked for another book. So, uh, and it became a huge success in Italy, like I mentioned earlier. So that, you know, yeah, um, persevere but, and, and take the notes. I, I've been, my writing career has died twice and I've just kept going <laughs> and it's revived again. And I say, now I'm actually very, very lucky to be, have a new book every year. Um, but to get to that point, you've got to just take the knocks. Sometimes I've been a boxer. And you only win every 10th bout. You know, the rest of the time you're getting punched in the face. Luckily now, I, I, I'm winning most of the bouts. I'm not getting punched in the face quite so much. <laughs> but I'm friends with lots of writers. And, and, you know, you go through tough periods. So you, you have to be pretty tough about it and have confidence. And I, hopefully that confidence is well-placed, uh, that you actually are writing well and you're not just deluding yourself. But right. uh, Which is why other people have got to read your stuff. Some other people read your stuff. And if they tell you this is no good, they're probably right. And they say, no, this is good. You should, you should stick with it. The encourage other writers that you might know, friends who will be honest with you, or in my case, my wife who edits my stuff and has no qualms about telling me when I've not done it well enough. If there's something wrong with it, she'll just be cruel to me and tell me how rubbish it is. I have to go back and work on it some more. So, um, you know, that, that, that's the thing. You can't, you can't just get stuck in your own head and fantasize you're writing a masterpiece because maybe you're not. Um, but um, it, So, yeah. Um, but I think you, you've... You, you do have to have perseverance. Um, you, you, it can be tough to get 
in print, even when you get one book out, it doesn't mean you're automatically going to have a second book out. You, the second book could just be a struggle to find a publisher for that. I know plenty of people who've had that struggle, but they've persevered and they've gotten through. And I know them personally. I know they've got the talent and they can write well. So, uh, yeah, you've got to be pretty tough about it. Um, uh, and I, I managed to tough out through two droughts. Um, <laughs> and now uh, th- things are going pretty well for me right now. I've got very good relationships with my publishers uh, in the USA and over here. Um, and things are going very, very well. And I, I'm getting, the books get a lot of attention in, in magazines and uh, podcasts like yours and uh, other places. I'm really pleased that people find it an interesting enough idea that's worth telling people about it. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your latest novel, A Study in Crimson, Sherlock Holmes, 1942? Right. Um, I always have a, an afterword to my books. At the end of it, has my website address, and that means people are able to write to me and say how much they've enjoyed it. Um, so it's www. It's Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, hyphen authors, A-U-T-H-O-R-S, dot, oh, I think it says dot com. Yeah. Um, not dot co.uk it's one of those um and that's my website and it's got everything about plus about the games i've designed and the books i've written and what i'm working on and background on the books as well and uh so there's a lot of good stuff there people are interested in reading about some of the things i've written to be published elsewhere online i will reproduce on theirs so you can read them um and uh it needs updating but uh, it's got a biography <laughs> of me it's got some of my wife's books as well and the website was set up as a present for us many years ago by friends of ours. And so made the effort to make it entertaining. And I, but when the first of all, communicate with people with the website, he said, uh, I came across to a website by accident. I'm not in any of your books, but I've really enjoyed reading your website. It's really good fun. So <laughs> you go to that Horace, uh, Harris Authors, Harris-Authors.com, you can find out all kinds of things. And uh, if, if you forget the address, it's at the very end of every book I write in the afterword. It has that bit at the back. So we can That's find correct. out about this stuff. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Robert J. Harris, author of the new novel, A Study in Crimson, Sherlock Holmes, 1942. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Robert, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for to you as well. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.